let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Monday evening where we continue our reflections into the great Christian thinkers. And we are just moving along into the 19th century this evening. And, and before I go any further, I do want to especially welcome uh, those who are tuning in by way of podcast uh, from the countries of Canada, Mexico, Argentina, Brazil, Chile, uh, Portugal, Spain, France, Germany. Um, I see Italy and Croatia on the feed, as well as India and South Africa. So I just want to continue to welcome you. Um, I, I never want to miss the opportunity to, to welcome you, that you are taking 30 minutes out of your time from so far away to journey with us here on Seeds of Truth and the Christian and Catholic faith. Now, it is Monday evening here in Chico, California, so we are about the great Christian thinkers on Monday evening. You know, where have we been over the past month or so? Well, we have taken up some uh, 17th and 18th century giants in St. Louis de Montfort, St. Jean-Baptiste de La Salle, St. Alphonsus Liguori. Of course, last time, Father Ken Laveroni, a priest from the Sacramento Diocese who was a part of the canonization process for St. Junipero Serra, was with us to talk about St. Junipero Serra, and um, we are uh, very grateful to Father Ken Laveroni taking time out of his busy schedule to do that. So again, we have been in the 17th and 18th centuries, primarily focusing in on French saints, and we will now move into the 19th century, and in doing so, talk about another French saint, and that is St. Therese of Lisieux. And as we go through St. Therese of Lisieux, I will be primarily uh, drawing from uh, Benedict's reflection in his Wednesday audience on St. Therese. So St. Therese of Lisieux, who while here on earth, was also known as Trez of the Child Jesus and the Holy Face. Trez of the Child Jesus and the Holy Face. And we're going to get into the significance of that here in a little bit. Um, St. Trez lived towards the end of the 19th century. So we're taking a bit of a jump, a jump of about, oh, 120 to 125 years. You know, Unipero Syria was mid-18th century. Liguori was mid to late 18th century. But uh, St. Trez is that next doctor of the church and it is uh, time that we talk about her. So she comes to us towards the end of the 19th century, and what's so remarkable <laughs> about St. Therese that I think often gets lost in the discussion is that she was only in this world for 24 years. 24 years. You know, in the past I have talked about how certain saints achieve so much in such a small period of time. Well, consider St. Therese, 24 four years. I know most of you out there are at least 24 years old, so there's a bit of a challenge here. <laughs> here you have a woman who lived the life of a saint, right? And she did it in just 24 years. The great challenge to us is, what are we doing with our life, is it not? I mean, to look at a life like that of St. Therese, a life that was lived only 24 years, is it not a challenge? Is it not a direct challenge to us? What are you doing with your life? How are you spending your waking moments? How are you giving glory to God? Now, about those uh, 24 years, huh? St. Therese lived 
a very simple and hidden life as a Carmelite nun who, after her death and the publication of her writings, became one of the best-known and best-loved saints in the world. And let me tell you something, my friends, it happened fast. St. Therese has illumined the whole church with her profound spiritual doctrine to the point that St. John Paul II chose to give her the title Doctor of the Church, in addition to the title she had already received back in 1939 as the, the Patroness of Missions. Now, this is striking that she would receive this title, the Doctor of the Church, because she had written so little. As we will talk about this evening, all we really have is, is the story of her life. Huh? That being said, we will touch upon the why behind the title, Doctor of the Church. It's interesting, St. John Paul II describes her as an expert in the science of love. This will be really foundational to why she is known as a doctor of the church, an expert in the science of love. I love that phrase. And St. Therese expressed the science in which she saw the whole truth of the faith shine out in that one word, love. Love. And this, of course, comes out mainly in the story of her soul, which was published a year after her death in 1898 with the title, The Story of a Soul. The book immediately met with enormous success and was translated into many languages and was quickly disseminated throughout the world. And in so many ways, because the story of a soul is a diary of sorts, if one really wishes to capture you know, the essence of what she is all about, you have to do so by looking at her life and how she herself would see Jesus working in her life, huh? As Therese would want us to see it, love has a face. It has a name. It is Jesus. Love has a face. It has a name. It is Jesus. And this love, Jesus, was revealing his face to her in her very short life. So let us engage the important stages of her life to enter into the heart of her teaching, to enter into the heart of this science, which she calls love. Therese was born on January 2nd, 1873, in Alencombe, France, the last daughter of Louis and Zelie Martin. Now, why is that relevant? Well, for some of you, you may know that uh, Louis and Zelie Martin were canonized themselves this past October. How about that, huh? <laughs> so, Louis and Zelie Martin had nine children, four of whom died at a very young age. So they had nine children, four of whom died at a very young age. So after the four uh, died at a very young age, five were left, all daughters. And all five of those daughters became religious. I mean, most fascinating. You talk about a saintly family and saintly parents. Here you have a married couple in Louis and Zelie Martin who not only lose four children at a tender age, but also, when the five children left, all daughters, they enter religious life. Now, in the life of St. Therese, she lost her mother at the age of four. And her father then moved with his daughters to the town of Lisieux. We know St. Therese as St. Therese of Lisieux. And they moved to Lisieux at the age of four. And this ultimately is where, of course, the saint would spend the rest of her life. Later in her life, St. Therese was affected by a serious nervous disorder, which was healed by a divine grace, which she herself described as 
the smile of Our Lady. Isn't that interesting? The smile of Our Lady. She then received her first communion, which was an intense experience for her, as she would speak to it in the story of her life. And this made Jesus in the Eucharist the center of her life, huh? her first communion. Now it is the grace of Christmas, as she would speak to it, in 1886 that would mark the important turning point in her life, which she called her complete conversion. In fact, she recovered totally from her childhood uh, hypersensitivity and began to flourish in her faith. And at the age of 14, Therese became ever closer um, with her great faith to the crucified Jesus. And in November of 1887, Therese went on pilgrimage to Rome, her famous pilgrimage to Rome with her father and her sister Celine. And the culminating moment for her was the audience that she had with Pope Leo XIII, whom she asked for permission to enter the Carmel Lassu when she was just 15 years old. A year later, her wish was granted, and she became a Carmelite. And in her own words, she became a Carmelite to save souls and to pray for priests. And again, folks, let's pause here huh, and think about something. She was only 16 years old, and she had this desire to give her life to Jesus Christ in this profound way. Once again, a challenge for us, and if there are any of you listeners out there who might be, you know, 14, 15, 16, and you've never read that the life of St. Therese, I really encourage you to read the life of St. Therese, the story of a soul, and to really appreciate uh, this desire we speak to now. Remember that the word desire really is synonymous with the spiritual life. In point of fact, I prefer to use the word desire because, as we've talked about before on this radio program, it really does hit the heart of what the spiritual life is all about, because the spiritual life is all about going deeper into the heart of Christ. And if we are serious in the spiritual life and we want to go deeper into the heart of Christ, then we must desire the graces that God wishes to give us so as to go deeper into the heart of Christ. So very important. Okay, it was at this time, upon entering the Carmel, that her father began to suffer from a painful and humiliating mental illness. It caused Therese great suffering, which led her to uh, contemplate deeper the face of Jesus and his passion. And thus, we have her name as a religious Saint Therese of the Child Jesus and of the Holy Face, which, as Benedict XVI speaks to it, expresses the program of her whole life in communion with the central mysteries of the Incarnation and the Redemption. Saint Therese of the Child Jesus and of the Holy Face. Now, many of you know that I have a Carmelite cloistered sister, so I have a, a sister who's a sister, a biological sister who's a spiritual sister. Her name is Sister Victoria Maria of the Infant King Jesus, right? So she's made to reflect upon a couple things herself, huh? Victoria Maria, what is she made to focus on there? Mary's victory, the assumption, right, of the Infant King Jesus. So she has uh, a devotion to the Infant of Prague. She herself has a devotion to the Child Jesus, to the Infant Jesus, to the Incarnation. How beautiful is that? To always have before you those twin images of uh, Mary's Assumption, and the Infant of Prague, and the Little Jesus. I mean, don't we all have moments in our conversion that define us? And in those moments, we are drawn to some aspect 
of our faith, huh? Some revelation of our faith. Well, again, for little Therese, it was all about the child Jesus and the holy face of Jesus. Okay, so moving along here. Her religious profession took place on the Feast of the Nativity of Mary, September 8th, 1890. And this, for St. Therese, was a true spiritual espousal, if you will, in evangelical littleness. And it was characterized by the symbol of the flower, uh, in the words of St. Therese herself from her diary. It was the Nativity of Mary. What a beautiful feast on which to become the spouse of Jesus. It was the little newborn Holy Virgin who presented her little flower to the little Jesus. Beautiful. So, for Therese, being a religious meant being a bride of Jesus and a mother of souls. And for those of you who might not be familiar with this language, what's going on here? Well, by bride, we mean to speak to it as one who marries Jesus, not only in the Eucharist where Christ enters into a bridal union with our souls, but also in the way in which one marries the church as a religious, you know, when they take the vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience. And this language of mother, being a mother of souls, speaks to her role as an intercessor. So it was on the day of her religious profession, the saint wrote a prayer which expressed the entire orientation of her life. She would ask Jesus for the gift of his infinite love to be the smallest, and above all, she asked for the salvation of all human beings, in her own words, that no soul may be damned today. Again, here she was focusing on her role as an intercessor. So 10 years after the grace of Christmas in 1896 came the grace of Easter, as she would speak to it, which opened the last period of Therese's life with the beginning of her passion in profound union with the passion of Jesus. It was the passion of her body with the illness that led her to death through great suffering, but it was especially the passion of the soul with a very painful trial of faith. Now, this is something we see common among the saints, uh, this trial of faith that they endure towards the end of their life. We call this the dark night of the soul. This is something that Elijah himself experienced after he won the great battle um, between he and Jezebel, right? Um, we've talked about that before, the dark night of the soul. Well, here St. Therese is experiencing this. So, with Mary beside the cross of Jesus, Therese then lived this most heroic faith as a light in the darkness that invaded her soul. What is so striking about this is that St. Therese was aware that she was living this great trial for the salvation of others, living this great trial for, as she would speak to it, all atheists in the modern world who she found in that solidarity through prayer, the ability to call them brothers, brothers in Christ, because of the way she would offer up her suffering for them. When we talk about suffering, it is always important to remember the power of suffering when we unite it to the cross of Christ, because when we do this, we share in the redemptive love of Christ. This is what Paul is talking about in Colossians 1.24, huh? He speaks to this power behind redemptive suffering, that when we offer our very lives, everything that we do, God uses that. That's so very important. Now, at this point in her life, 
1896, we would also read of this more intense fraternal love, not only for the sisters of her community, but also for, these, um, for the missionary brothers she was praying for, for the priests she was praying for, and for all the people she was praying for, especially, in her own words, the most distant. She truly became, as Benedict would put it, a universal sister, huh? a universal sister. This is why she received the title, the patroness for missions. Although in a cloister, she had a universal heart. Remember that the term Catholic itself means what? Universal. She had a Catholic heart. <laughs> she had a Catholic heart. And is this not the great Christian vocation to see how we are united to one another in and through the body of Christ? Amen to that. And so it was always Therese's lovable and smiling charity, as, as those would talk about it, that was the expression of her profound joy. And what's going on here, my friends? To talk about joy, to talk about the smile, is not a smile the sacrament of joy? Is not our smile the sacrament of peace? Is not our smile the sacrament of being in a loving relationship with Jesus Christ? Although she was suffering, she was suffering for Jesus, and this gave her great joy. She was living the greatest love in the smallest things of daily life. The saint brought to fulfillment her vocation to be love in the heart of the church in this way. And once again, in this way, my friends, we see this charism coming out of St. Therese's life in this role of an intercessor. Remember what Paul says, we are co-workers in the building up of the kingdom of God, 1 Corinthians 3, 5. Do we enter into that verse? Do we enter into Paul's words as he's writing to the church of Corinth, how we are called to be co-workers, how we are called to build up one another, even if we don't even know each other? This is the power behind St. Therese's offering of herself to God. She was doing it for people she didn't even know. She didn't have to know this atheist or that atheist to pray for them. No. In point of fact, the more people she didn't know, the more people she was offering herself up for. Why? Because she was appreciating this call that has been given to all of us, this call to offer ourselves up for the greater glory of God, to intercede on behalf of one another by offering ourselves up to God. Powerful stuff, rich stuff. Now, Therese died on the evening of September 30th, 1897, saying the simple words, my God, I love you. My God, I love you. And she did this as she was looking at the crucifix. In so many ways, could we not say that these last words of St. Therese are the key to her whole doctrine? Those words, my God, I love you. To her whole interpretation of the gospel, as she expressed it in her last breath, those simple words, Jesus, I love you, are at the heart of all of her writings, are at the heart of all of her writings. Now, I want to speak to something here, and that is Therese as a doctor of the church. Clearly, St. Therese is one of the little ones of the gospel who let herself be led by God to the depths of his mystery. And as Benedict XVI highlights, she did it with humility and charity, faith and hope. And moreover, I think this is key for us as it comes to us from Benedict XVI. 
With this humility and charity, faith and hope, Therese continually entered the heart of sacred scripture, which contains the mystery of Christ. And this interpretation of the Bible, nourished by the science of love, is not in opposition to academic knowledge. No. The science of the saints, in fact, of which she herself speaks on the last page of her, The Story of a Soul, is the loftiest science. Listen to her own words here. All the saints have understood, and in a special way, perhaps, those who fill the universe with the radiance of the evangelical doctrine. Was it not from prayer that St. Paul, St. Augustine, St. John of the Cross, St. Thomas Aquinas, Francis, Dominic, and so many other friends of God drew that wonderful science which has enthralled the loftiest minds? Huh. Isn't that interesting? Now, what's more and inseparable from the gospel for St. Therese was the Eucharist. The Eucharist as the sacrament of, of divine love that stoops to the extreme to raise us up to him. In her last letter, on an image that represents Jesus the child and the consecrated host, St. Therese writes these simple words, I cannot fear a God who made himself so small for me. I love him. In fact, he is nothing but love and mercy. And it is in this vein we find something else within the writings of St. Therese, and that is, above all, the mercy of Jesus. She writes this, To me, he has given his infinite mercy, and it is in this ineffable mirror that I contemplate his other divine attributes. Therein all appear to me radiant with love. His justice, even more perhaps than the rest, seems to me to be clothed with love. There she's speaking to the unique relationship between justice and mercy, how one illumines the other. And in these words, she expresses herself in the last lines of the story of a soul. And I wanted to read these. She says this, I have only to open the Holy Gospels, and at once I breathe the perfume of Jesus' life, and then I know which way to run. And it is not to the first place, but to the last, that I hasten. I feel that even had I, on my conscience, every crime one could commit, my heart broken with sorrow. I would throw myself into the arms of my Savior Jesus, because I know that he loves the prodigal son who returns to him. Beautiful. So, as Benedict highlights here, Trust and love, then, are the final point of the account of her life. These two words like beacons that illumine the whole of her journey to holiness, trust and love, to be able to guide others on the same little way of trust and love, of spiritual childhood. This is what her life was about. Trust, like that of a child who abandons himself in God's hands, inseparable from the strong, radical commitment of true love which is what? But the total gift of self for other and forever. As St. Therese says here, contemplating Mary, loving is giving all and giving oneself. So Therese points out to all of us that the Christian life consists in living to the full, the grace of baptism and the total gift of self to the love of the Father. And if we are going to do this, we must do it in the fire of the Holy Spirit in the same way he loved. You know, what's fascinating for us in this great saint, my friends, is her embrace of the little way with great love, something I think many of you out there are familiar with. But what does it mean 
to live the little way. What was the little way? Well, the little way is about embracing the details of life, is it not? How God lives in the details and how God calls us to love in the details. So many of us go about our day and very seldom reflect into the meaning of all the details in our day. St. Therese gently reminds us that God encounters us in the littleness of the day, in the concreteness and particularities of the day. You see, you've heard me talk about uh, providential encounters before, where if we enter into the way in which God wishes to reveal himself to us in each and every moment, what we discover is something extraordinary, something beautiful, how God calls us to go deeper in and through the encounters we have each day, which for many of us are unanticipated. What you anticipate is going to the store. What you anticipate is picking up your child. What you anticipate is going to a ball game. But what you can never really know is what? Who you meet. What you find once you get there, huh? If we are living a vibrant relationship with Jesus Christ and are open to his ways, this is an exciting thing because what we discover is his inexhaustible mystery in the way in which he reveals himself to us in all of those unexpected moments. The person at the store, a family at the school, a stranger who is no longer a stranger at a ball game. You find yourself in these conversations you could have never dreamed of. This is why the Christian and Catholic faith is so exciting. Let God surprise you and surprise you in the people you meet. Huh? Amen. And amen to the life of St. Therese of Lisieux, who embraced the little way and teaches us how to love the little way, how God meets us in the details. All right, let us close with a word of prayer. In the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Good and gracious God, we do offer you a special thanks and praise for the gift of this life in St. Therese of Lisieux and what she has to teach us in the science of love, how this science of love enters into the minutia of our day and how we are called to entrust ourselves to your providential care. And we pray this through the intercession of your mother, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death, all glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 5.30 here on KKXX. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.